to see you. Zion, good to be back. Mary and I were traveling a little bit. We got to bring home our youngest son, Evan. Let's give it up for Evan. Good to have him back. Well, we are in part 26. Can you believe it? Out of 26. So we've been looking at the 26 individual healing stories of Jesus. And we're on one. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on Malchus's ear getting chopped off. So we're going to see, uh, we're going to look at that today. It's going to be good. And um, so the, the idea behind these stories <clears throat> is we're going to learn how to heal the sick just like the disciples learn how to heal the sick. How'd they learn it? They learn it from the Old Testament? No. Did they learn it from the Pharisees? No. They learned it from watching Jesus. So the idea is that they learned it, they're going to learn to do it exactly the way Jesus did. And so we're doing it the same way. How did Jesus do it? He did it as a man rightly related to God. So how many of you are rightly related to God? Do you realize that when God declared you righteous and adopted you as his child, you now have the same relationship with the Father as Jesus has with the Father? No distance, no separation. Any distance or separation is just a lie. And then Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how, how dependent are you willing to be on the Holy Spirit, and how much do you believe that you've been made righteous? And so uh, to that extent, we get to walk in, uh, walk in the healing power of Jesus. So let's turn to John's gospel. This story is actually told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at it in John and Luke, and uh, we'll be kind of pulling from some of the others. So John chapter 18. So uh, where, where's the picture uh, that we had for this? We, we have that one that says, no, Okay. Because it was funny, because uh, Mary said, it said, heal like Jesus, and I had a picture of someone with a sword. And I thought, boy, that's an interesting, interesting picture there, heal like Jesus. Anyway, <clears throat> Matthew 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. This is to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Let's look at Luke, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 47. This is Luke's account. Luke, Luke's the only one who talks about the healing of it. So Luke was the doctor, so apparently he was more interested in this part. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw Rahim saw what he saw what would follow. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. It's interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke never mention that it's Peter. And uh, Mark is really Peter's gospel. Uh, Peter dictated it to Mark. And so, uh, well, you guys want to know probably why? But it was probably so scandalous. It probably would have been a lawsuit, some kind of trial. They would have hunted it down. And so they kept it a secret. The only one who revealed it was in John's gospel. That was like in AD 90 after some of this uh, drama had kind of bent down. So no one else tells it. It's uh, Peter except for John. Um, but Jesus, uh, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. 
and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out, come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Whoo-wee! How we doing? I mean, what can you say about a miracle that only happens in a few words? And he touched his ear and healed him. Let's close in prayer. No, no, we got a lot to say. This is a different miracle. This really is. It stands out different among the, the other 25 that we've looked at. And understand its uniqueness, let's look at the context here. So uh, Jesus, he's just come from the upper room. So if you remember John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is up there with his disciples. John 17, he's praying that great prayer for the disciples. And it says they come down the winding path by the wall of Jerusalem. They cross over the Kidron, uh, the Kidron Ravine. <clears throat> now the Kidron Ravine is the path that David took. It's interesting. If you go back in the Old Testament, King David, when he was fleeing for his life, running from his son Absalom, who was trying to, uh, betray the th- trying to take over the throne there, um, David uh, forced, was forced to flee from Jerusalem across this Kidron Ravine. He went up, across, uh, went up the Mount of Olives weeping. Now here's Jesus. He's also in sorrow. And uh, David went up to save himself. Jesus goes up to save the entire world. Here it is. It's the day of Passover. And so there's approximately a quarter of a million lambs being slaughtered. Can you imagine how much blood? So have you ever wondered what happens to the blood in the temple? Well, they kind of had this underground system. And they kind of had these tubes that would collect all this blood in this pipe. And it would go right under the, uh, the Kidron Valley there. So here's Jesus. Can you imagine the mood that he's walking in? Here it is, Passover. And he's crossing over the blood of a quarter of a million lambs knowing that the very next day he would be that lamb who would end the bloodshed for once and for all. How we doing? This will preach if you're not careful here, guys. And so he comes to the garden called Gethsemane on the side of the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus had been in the upper room praying. Now he's coming to the garden of Gethsemane. And uh, they, they probably had a lock there, and he went there often. He had a key to get into the garden. This was Jesus' secret hideaway. He went there often. Every disciple knew about this place. Judas knew about this place. So Jesus leaves eight of the disciples outside the gate. Judas is doing his own thing, and he takes in Peter, James, and John, and they're in there praying. And uh, Jesus, he's facing this ordeal of bearing the sins of the world. He knows that he's about to feel separation from his father for the first time. He knows that he's going to carry all the sickness, all the poverty, all the torment of the entire planet for all of history. And Jesus, he's in, you see him in his humanity. It says he's wrestling and he has like great drops of blood. So his tunic begins to get soaked with blood. He's so intense. He's praying. And he prays this prayer. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So the disciples are supposed to be helping Jesus. They're sleeping. And all of a sudden, uh, Jesus wakes them up and this mob is coming up the hill. You can see them coming up the side of the Mount of Olives. They've got torches. They've got lanterns. They've got weapons. There's a thunder of many feet. There's a buzz of conversation as they're coming up. And uh, there's this unlikely union in this mob. You've got the religious group. You've got the Sadducees, who were the liberals. And you've got the Pharisees, who were the, oh, I want to say it, religious hypocrites. You know, they were, the, they were the strict ones, right? So you've got the liberals. What did I write down here? Oh, they were your legalists. That's a nice way of saying it. Okay. So you got the Sadducees who are the liberals. you got the Pharisees who are the legalists. And they hated each other. But the one thing they could agree on is this Jesus needs to go. And these two parties, they make not only an uneasy alliance with themselves, but they make truce with the Roman authorities. The, the, the religious group, they hated the Roman authorities. But they, uh, they agreed to come, in, come together on this. And the word used to describe the Roman authorities, it said a band of soldiers... This could be anywhere from 600 to 1,000 soldiers. Can you imagine that? 600 to 1,000 soldiers coming to arrest this uh, Galilean carpenter. 
and they're scared spitless of Jesus. Okay, we're going to see that here in a second. So uh, during the Passover, the moon was full. And so you could stand on the Mount of Olives, and it was just about daylight. So why did they have all the torches and lanterns? <clears throat> it's because they expected Jesus to run for his life. They thought he was going to run and hide in rocks and caves, and they were going to have to have a search party for him. They're expecting trouble. Now, this time of year, every year right around Passover, there would be these would-be messiahs that would rise up, and they would say, this is it. This is the time where God is going to deliver Rome into our hands. They would have a little bit of an insurrection, and then what would happen? The Roman armies, they had their guards there. They would put down their resurrection. They would crucify these false messiahs. They would get on with life. This happened every year. But uh, this Jesus, he's got a bigger following than ever. So now they've got 600 soldiers coming to put down. In Roman's eyes, this is just another one of these would-be messiahs. Same thing every year. This one's just a little bit more popular. So, um, so do you remember why the religious authorities wanted Jesus arrested? You guys remember this? If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, they said he was the sorcerer of all sorcerers. This was a real pivotal point in the gospel story when they said this guy has, has the prince of demons on the inside. He has Beelzebul. He's not only uh, demon-possessed, he is Satan-possessed. He is possessed. He is the most powerful sorcerer that we've ever seen. And so uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together and said, we've got to get rid of this guy. We are going to honor God by crucifying you because you are Satan-possessed. And so um, it says there were some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, some servants in the temple. And I imagine that's got to be pretty scary. They're going there to arrest Satan. Right, they've seen Jesus do some mighty miracles. They've seen the power of God, and uh, they've seen good things. But what's he going to do when he's cornered? And so here they are, scared. So they've got the Roman armies. They've got their swords. They've got their torches. So their mouth is dry. Their stomachs in knots. Their adrenaline's flowing. They don't know what they're going to expect from this guy. They've got these 600 soldiers behind them, and uh, they're, they're all there to arrest Jesus. And the disciples haven't seen Judas since the Last Supper, right? He's been gone, and all of a sudden, the disciples are kind of sleepy-eyed. Jesus wakes them up, and all of a sudden, here comes Judas leading this band, leading this mob. And uh, he's coming into the clearing, leading this gang behind him. And um, if you read this story like you've, uh, as if you've never read it before, you would wonder who is on trial, because you're going to see here, Jesus is completely in charge of this whole situation. I want you guys to catch this, Okay. If you, were to, uh, if you were to read the story of Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate, you'd wonder who is on trial. Jesus is completely in charge in this situation. He stands majestic and in complete authority. You have to understand this. No one takes his life. He is laying it down willingly. Nobody is arresting Jesus. We're going to see here in a second. They, they can't even get near him. The power of God is so strong. Nobody's arresting Jesus. He gives himself. Look at John 18, 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, uh, it's unfortunate that the English Standard Version says, I am he. Here's what it says in the Greek. I am. I am. Anyone who's read the Bible knows the divine name of God is I am. I am that I am. Jesus now is unashamedly proclaiming who he is, and he stands before these 600 uh, soldiers armed to the teeth, the temple police, this little gang of Pharisees and, and Sadducees and Judas, and he says, I am, and bam, all of them go flying into the bushes. The divine power of God emanates, and people are sprawled everywhere. This is their worst fear. Uh, to them, they've just met this witch in the garden. He starts off by knocking them all over with his power. And they realize they can't arrest this man. They can't even get near him because of the divine power coming out of him. So they scramble to their feet. They're, they're dusting themselves off. They're checking their weapons. And in verse 7, so we ask them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you 
that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. Guys, Jesus is in complete control here. So far, Judas hasn't betrayed him. Poor Judas, he's got this great plan. He's going to earn his 30 pieces of silver here. He's going to be the one who, who's going to mark out Jesus. And Jesus short-circuits the plan and says, I'm the guy you're looking for. He won't even allow himself to be betrayed. No one's going to sell him out. No one's going to arrest him. He's giving himself in this situation because he's accepted the cup that the Father's given him. Jesus talked about this earlier in John 10, 18. No one takes it from me. I lay, speaking of his life, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my father. So here they are, hundreds of soldiers, flat on their backs. Pharisees and all their religious garb and all their dignity, gone in just a moment. They get back up and they're standing there. And here's Judas wanting to earn his 30 pieces of silver. We find out in Luke 22 that Satan has already entered into Judas. So here he is possessed. By, it doesn't say he's possessed by a demon. He's the one who's possessed by Satan. Essentially, they're accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan. Now the one leading this mob is actually the one possessed by Satan. Judas, uh, he went to see the uh, chief priest earlier. He's setting this whole thing up. And uh, Mark 14, 44 tells us that the prearranged signal was that the person that Judas kissed was the one that they were looking to arrest. And what stands out here is the way that Judas betrayed Jesus. And so in the culture of the first century, a kiss on the cheek was a common greeting among friends. It was a sign of deep respect, honor, and brotherly love. So uh, imagine if you went up to somebody and you gave them a big bear hug, like you really missed them, like you were a good friend. It's like, and so you can see Jesus. He says in uh, Luke 24, 48, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Couldn't you just spit in my face? Couldn't you just stab me in the back? Seriously, you had to give me the kiss of a deep friendship? By this time, the soldiers recognize they better do their job. They, they better act here quickly. They come with their ropes and their weapons, and at that point, Peter steps forward. you got to love Peter. I mean, so much of the time, he just gets it wrong. He opens his mouth. It's just always going wrong. But you got to admire his courage here. There's one guy against 600 professionally trained soldiers. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got to love this. I mean, a fisherman from Galilee who doesn't know one end of a sword from the other, he says, I'm going to take him on. Now, you got to give this guy credit. I mean, it was flesh the whole way. He was not moving in the spirit, but it was some courageous flesh. You got to give that. So Peter's going to take him on. He doesn't know how to fight, so he just goes for the first man in his path, probably the guy who's unarmed, right? And so um, happened to be Malchus. Malchus was the number two guy under the high priest. You had Annas, you had Caiaphas, and you had this guy. He's, the, he's, the, he's over the temple, um, uh, the temple guards there. He's the top guy underneath them. Peter goes after him first. And if you know Peter, uh, he wasn't aiming for his ear, right? Peter's aiming for the jugular. He's trying to give this guy a split personality, right? He's trying to cut off his head, but thank God he was a fisherman, and uh, he used the sword just like a fishing pole, right? You, you, can, you, you can just, like, imagine, imagine he's doing that. He misses the guy's head, and that's what saved the day. And Peter comes down over his ear. It says that Peter cut off Malchus's right ear. So, and then it says Jesus touched his ear and healed him. So <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure how to picture it. It could look a couple different ways. It said he chopped off the ear. And uh, it doesn't mention that Jesus, like, picks it up and reattaches it. It just says Jesus touched there and... So I don't know if there was a creative miracle instantly of an ear piercing. I don't know if he chopped it and it was kind of cut off but kind of dangling and he puts it back there. Um, it, oh, come on. You've all seen the Passion of the Christ movie. There's grosser things than that in the Bible. So, so it's, not, it's not totally clear how he's doing it, uh, how he's doing that. But Jesus, he touches the area there, reattaches this severed ear, 
and uh, perhaps with a creative miracle. And the Roman soldiers, you can understand, now they're ready to fight, right? They grab for their soul, swords, and now the disciples are in a completely dangerous situation here. Jesus leaps in. And let me put together what the various gospels say. Stop, no more of this. Put the sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of which my father has given me? Jesus turns to Peter in uh, Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Peter, don't you know I'm in complete control of this situation? You think I'm here alone? You think these petty 600 soldiers? Peter, if I wanted out of this, right at this very moment, I could get out of this. I'm not locked into this. I could appeal now to 72,000 angels who would come and deliver me. One legion of angels, 6,000. 12 legions of angels, 12 times 6,000. Peter, I've got 72,000 angels here for these petty 600 soldiers. If you remember in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 19, one angel killed 185,000 of the Syrian army. Jesus is doing just fine. I want you guys to get this. Jesus did not have to go through this. He is there by choice. Peter, these 72,000 angels, they're standing there waiting for one command, and this whole thing is over. They leap into action, but it's a command that will never be given, Peter. Put away your sword. It's my choice to be here. Don't interfere. This is between me and my father. We've worked this out, and I'm here to do this willingly. So Jesus goes over to Malchus. Can you imagine? Suddenly, your ear's gone. I don't even know how much he even felt the pain. He's in shock. His his, his face is covered in blood. Um, You know something's happened. There's no ear, but all of a sudden you're just seeing the blood. He's standing there in this state of paralyzed shock. And Jesus goes over there and takes the ear, puts it back on, puts his hand there. Somehow just reattaches this thing. You can imagine it just happens so quick. And under Jesus' hand, the, the ear is mended to the side of his head. It's completely healed. No scar, no stitch marks. Suddenly, everything's as it was, except his face is completely covered in blood. It was so quick. You can imagine. Slice, Jesus is like, no, put away your sword. Everything's over. And we can, the, the soldier's like, hold on, did something even happen? I thought his ear was gone, but there it is. And so the, shoulders, uh, the soldiers shake their heads. They don't really know what's going on. They haven't fought like this before. I mean, they've heard they're on their backs, and now they're, they're, they thought they saw something here. Malchus is in a state of daze, uh, having received the power of God, putting his ear back on. And now, it's interesting. He receives, a, he receives his ear, and now he turns around and supervises the arrest of the man who just healed him. So now they bind Jesus and take him down the mountain. What is going on in this story? Pretty unusual. I, think we've, I thought we covered like every possibility in these uh, previous 25 miracles. I mean, we've, uh, we've seen sickness. We've seen dysfunctional organs like blind eyes being opened, deaf ears being opened, mute tongues being able to speak, paralyzed limbs moving again. We've seen people bent over double with demons. We've seen swollen limbs. We've seen the dead being raised. We've seen the demonic in all of its different faces. We've seen the creation of eyeballs with the man born blind. But this is different. Uh, this is a mending and a bringing together of severed pieces of body. Okay, this is a severed, severed limb. It's a wound. It's, it's a different kind of healing. Today, imagine if you came upon the scene of an accident with a fresh wound, that would be the equivalent of this. Guys, this, this is equipping us for this. When you come up, some of you are going to come upon the scene of, an act, of a car accident, and you're going to know, oh, Jesus does this. Imagine someone who's been the victim of a crime, and they're recently there with a gaping wound open. This is that kind of miracle. What we're seeing is the power of the creator coming through Jesus and causing the cells of the body to come together and cohere and to mend miraculously. 
So why did Jesus, did you notice the, uh, the, that why Jesus did the miracle is different than all the other miracles, okay? And so um, before, let's look at the context again. So before Jesus does this miracle, he's wrestling in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, um, he's saying, listen, this is my father's cup. This is beyond Annas. This is beyond Caiaphas. This is beyond Rome. This is beyond the, uh, the religious Jews. This is beyond all this. This is something between my father and I. And so uh, Isaiah 53, it says that the, it pleased the father to bruise him. Boy, what a strange statement. He's saying this is something that God and Jesus came up with together to save humanity. And, God, and it pleased the father because he knew what it was going to bring. It's the father who said that Jesus would bear the sin of the world. Jesus would bear the grief and the sorrow and the sickness and the torment and the poverty of the entire planet. And that's the cup that Jesus must drink. It's the cup of God's wrath against sin. And it's the Father who does it. And Jesus says to the Father, not my will. Boy, I wish this cup could pass. You can see Jesus in his humanity. He does not want this any more than any of us would want this. But he wills himself completely. Having 72,000 angels able to do this, he wills himself completely and says, not my will, but your will. He completely settles his will And with his whole person, he accepts this cup the Father's given him, and he goes into this situation in complete control. Boy, this is powerful. And he receives the divine enablement from the Father to follow through with it. So the cup that Jesus accepts is Jesus not only dying for us, but him dying as us. And the first form the cup takes was going out and showing that he had actually accepted it. So he knocks down the Roman soldiers, the temple guards, the, Roman, the, the religious authorities. He's going out and he's showing, I've accepted this cup. I'm doing this. You're not doing this. He shows them, you can't arrest them. He says, I'm not even going to call the angels. And look what Peter does. What's, what Peter does with this sword, he says, you're not going to take this cup. We're going to fight the cup. We don't want this way, Jesus. We want a different way. Peter's unable to comprehend a love that dies for anyone, let alone a love that dies for an enemy. So Peter's brandishing his sword, and he's threatening to ruin the choice that Jesus had made. I want you guys to get this. Jesus embraces the very people who are there to kill him. He said, you're part of the cup. And when Peter used that sword, he changed the whole picture. He's changing the face of Christianity. He's changing the face of what Jesus was looking to present. So Jesus turns to Peter, stop. Shall I not drink the cup my father's given me? Peter, you're blowing it. This is my choice, Peter. This is not a mistake. So Jesus goes over, heals Malchus's ear, and the healing was uh, in order to publicly reverse Peter's action. Guys, Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to show us what God was like with skin on. He's the one who reveals God. So when he heals this man, what's he doing? He's revealing the Father. Peter was not revealing the Father. Peter was revealing Peter. Peter was demonstrating how he perceived the kingdom that Jesus was coming to set up. Listen, here's Peter's view of the kingdom. If you disagree with us, we will fight you. If you're not one of us, we will not only shun you and separate from you, we will despise you, we will cut you, and we will mutilate you. You know what? There's no difference between Peter's kingdom and the Roman kingdom. Romans had swords. They said the same thing. If you disagree with us, if you rise up against us, we will wipe you out. No difference. Peter's understanding of the church was simply a different kind of Roman empire. Instead of Caesar, he put Jesus on the throne. Do you guys realize that's the same political spirit in the church today? If you disagree with us, we will cut you. We will despise you. We will cancel you. We want you wiped off the face of the earth. You know what the word denomination means? Divided nation. It says, if you don't agree with me, I'll cut you off. I'd kill you if I could for the glory of God. There's no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans in a human empire. Are we okay? 
Boy, in a lot of people's view of church, there's no difference between uh, the Roman Empire and how Jesus is going to come back. I've said it before, but um, the kingdom of God is not going to come through Air Force One. God loves Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Ben Shapiro and all of them all the same. His kingdom is different. They're all part of his cup. So when we begin to draw lines, I'm not saying we don't stand for truth, but guys, we, I don't, I'm not sure we've seen politics yet that represent the kingdom of God. It looks a lot more like the kingdom of earth. When our politics and, our, and the, the political commercials look the exact same as the other parties, and there's really not much difference. It's to shut the other person up, make them look stupid, have, their, have a gotcha moment on there where they look like complete fools. I'll tell you what, I appreciate, uh, we, we need spirit-filled politicians to rise up from this church and this city who can speak the truth in love. I'll tell you who I appreciate. I appreciate someone like a Charlie Kirk who is intelligent and is able to have dialogue with people without making them feel like complete idiots and can build bridges. But we need, we need people like that. And on, uh, on whatever side of the political party on, we need God's wisdom. We need God's spirit. And we need something that doesn't look like this human kingdom. How are we doing? That's my little rant. There's got to be a difference between the way the church does politics the way the church does church and these other human religious institutions. So Jesus is proclaiming and demonstrating God's love and the, God, and the good news. I want you to see this. Jesus is literally preaching the gospel in this man's body. This guy is not seeking Jesus. He's not, he's not worthy. He didn't come to Jesus with faith. And we've seen all these other stories. They're coming to Jesus with faith. They're crying out for Jesus to come. They're bringing family members to come. They've got faith even if the family members don't. This guy has got none of that. He's not seeking Jesus. He's there to kill Jesus. And the gospel says, I reach out and I love you even though you don't love me. We've seen people come with little faith, great faith, dormant faith that Jesus wakes up. But this man, Malchus, he set himself against Jesus. And this healing, maybe more than any other healing that we've looked at, shows the unconditional love of God. It's the grace of God which stands behind every healing. His healing is the gospel being preached in Malchus's body. He, he didn't deserve it. It was completely an act of grace. It was gifted to him. Healing is for the glory of God. See, I think a lot of times we're seeking healing and, and we want to be relieved, and I think those are good things, but um, uh, boy, all those healings point to the healer. They point to what he's really like, that he's a good dad. He's absolutely fantastic. He's good beyond anything we can dream of. Do you realize that you are saved and you are healed for the very same reason? To bring God glory. To show you what he's really like. Salvation and healing go together. You weren't saved because you did something amazing. You weren't saved because God's like, ha there's somebody who has faith. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us that yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't earn salvation. You didn't become good enough and then God saved you. It's the same thing with healing. I feel like this is the thing that holds the church back from healing more than anything else is we still think we have to do something to get God to heal us. It's just like salvation. You receive it as a free gift. You don't earn it. You receive it. Let God heal you. Get rid of all these other reasons that he shouldn't. Healing is just a physical expression of the gospel. It isn't for sale. God heals people who don't deserve it, and he loves all the wrong kind of people, people like you and me. We're not the ones cleaned up who've earned it and deserved it. We all didn't deserve it. Yeah. 
The love of God can look at the enemies of God and say, he, we, can, we can look at the enemies of God and say, he loves you so much, he will heal you. God doesn't even make people join the team first before he heals them. Mary and I had a, uh, have a friend, and a few years ago, he, I, I probably told this story before, he called us up, and he said, my wife and I, uh, we, we knew both of them very well, he said they lived in another state, he said, uh, my wife and I, <clears throat> we are getting ready to kill ourselves, we don't have any reason to live anymore, uh, he's on a bag full of medication, he was in so much pain, it would take him several minutes when he woke up just to get out of bed, agony all day long at work, um, he... Uh, had metal in his body holding his neck up. I think it went down to his spine. He had zero range of motion in his neck. He just had to turn his whole body in order to do it. His wife was under a complete depression, couldn't get out of bed. So he called us up, and he said, hey, we're, we're getting ready to kill ourselves. I just wanted to say goodbye. And so this is what came out of my mouth. I said, um, hey, before you kill yourself, why don't you come up to Zion? And if you don't encounter God, then you can kill yourself. I'm not saying it was wise. I'm just saying that's what came out of my mouth. <laughs> and so uh, I went and told Mary. Mary's like, what? I'm like, we got to pray. And so, uh, so we, we had the room that they were staying in. So we're prayer walking the room. We're laying hands on the pillows. We're laying hands in the sheets. You know, we're, we're doing everything that you could possibly do for this thing. And so, uh, so they come up to the house. And there's a house and then we lived in Delaware. And uh, they come up to the house. And as soon as um, she walks in the property... All the demonic lifts off her, and she comes back to her senses. And so he says, you, you must think I'm lying. He said, like, this is, this is the wife that I married. He's like, this is, this is so different here. And so he, so he comes on in, and so they end up getting a sozo. And so he hasn't, hadn't cried in like 10 years, hadn't had any kind of emotion. And uh, the Lord begins touching his heart and softening his heart. And so he had severe back problems in addition to his neck problem. And for some reason, I was going to the um, Walmart to buy a safe, and... Um, you know, I'm not that strong, and so I need to help lifting it. And he couldn't do it. But, uh, so Mary had told him earlier, listen, you've been trying to get healed off of our faith. You need to believe for yourself. And so he takes this on the inside for some reason. This is just like a word to him. He takes it. And um, I, I, didn't, I forgot his back was hurt. And so we go to lift up the safe. And as he lifts up the safe, his back gets healed. And so, and he doesn't say anything for a while because he wants to make sure it's real. And so he doesn't say anything. So by, we get back to the house, and after a little while, he's like, I need to tell you something. I don't have any more pain in my back. And I'm like, wow. And so, um, so yeah, 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 God. And so, um, so at the sozo, he gets a prophetic word and, uh, about some things that God was going to do. And uh, so, he, you know, they go back to their home in another state. And so his back is healed now. His neck's still messed up. And so, um, so he's in the shower. And as he's showering, uh, the images of the prophetic word begin flashing before his eyes. So he's got his eyes open, and he's seeing the prophetic word happening as he's standing under the shower head. His dog barks three times, and with each bark, blue lightning appears and shoots into his neck three times. Boom, boom, boom. And he realizes his neck is completely healed at that point. So all the pain's gone from his neck. Pain's gone from his neck. <clears throat> yeah, this one's, this one's happening in stages. So the pain's gone from his neck, but he still can't move it. And so, uh, so he comes back up, and we go to a, a, a church service um, that had a, a special speaker coming, and uh, we got separated. So there's, I don't know, maybe like a thousand people, and we get separated. I'm like, oh, we're not, we're just not sitting by him. And um, it was uh, Bill Johnson's giving the call, and Bill Johnson says, hey, is there anybody here who's got metal in their bodies? We're like, oh, that's him, you know. And, but we're, we're like, you know, he's like kind of coming back to the Lord. It's kind of brand new. And so um, all of a sudden, um, there, you know, there's like, if you've been healed, come on up and tell it. And we see him doing the slow walk down the aisle. And it was like, oh, God. 
It's so good. He's up there and he's moving his neck and, you know, he's like, what happened? He's like, I don't know, you know, and it's like, he's like, you know, he, could, he had zero range of motion. And um, I, I just wanted you to see how good God is. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you this. He, um, when, he, uh, when he called, he says, we don't believe in God anymore. And I said, that's okay. God believes in you. Guys, that's the gospel. Is we don't, they don't have to have it all right. We don't have to get them saved and on the team first. God wants to be glorified. He wants the whole world to know how absolutely amazing he is. And it's not an arrogant statement. He's just that amazing. He wants everybody to know. And your body is a very good opportunity for people to see that. People's sick bodies is a very good opportunity for God to see what kind of God he's like. Healing is literally the gospel being preached in your body. For this man, Malchus, this ear being put back on was the gospel being preached to the cells of his body. He was encountering the energy and the divine, unconditional love of God in his body. When we go into the world, we can go with this mentality. You carry in your mouth the good news. And through your hands, the gifts of the Spirit can be released so people can see what God is exactly like. Not because you said the right words or because you understand everything perfectly, but because God loves them and that's the way he is. And so we go and we share God's love and we demonstrate this free good news. I say this again. Uh, this story, this is an emergency situation. This is when you come upon the scene of an accident and you're selling a situation. Maybe there's been a crime done to another human being and there's a gaping wound. Your neighbor tells you that they're deathly ill. There's an emergency coming. And you come as the very extension and the very representative of Jesus himself. And through the laying on of hands, you demonstrate God's love and you bring them healing. One last thing. Can I give you a spiritual interpretation in this passage? Peter was the first leader of the church. The first leader of the church cut off this guy's ear. That's a great beginning of the church there, isn't it? That's pretty fabulous. It was the leader of the church who did not have the Holy Spirit at this point, who acted in the flesh and cut off his ear. And Jesus had to contradict his leader-to-be by healing this man. What's the ear? It's your organ of hearing. How many times has the church and its leaders cut off the ears of those they perceived as being enemies? causing them to lose their ability to hear truth. Wherever I go, I find earless people. People who have their ears cut off and they can't hear the truth in the church. Leaders of the church who didn't have the spirit but acted in the flesh. So many people listening today have been, uh, well, there's hundreds of millions of people who will never listen because they've been hurt by the Catholic church and the Baptist church and the Pentecostal church and the Vineyard church and the Spirit-filled church and every denomination, every divided nation. Jesus not only wants to heal your physical body, he wants to heal our spiritual ears that have been cut off by church leaders. Leave Peter to Jesus. Leave the leaders to Jesus. He can take care of them just fine. Just let Jesus heal your ears so you can hear truth, however badly the church has, has treated you. And so I stand back from this miracle and I realize the wonder of God's grace, his unconditional love, and that he heals us because that's the way he is. God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He's not going to heal you because you're good. He's going to heal you because of what Jesus did on the cross, because that's the way he is. Sometimes I feel like we cut ourselves temporarily off from healing because we're trying too hard. We get in the flesh. We're trying so hard to present ourselves as perfect specimens of Christianity so we can be healed. Here's my closing words to you. Relax. God is amazing. He's on your side. He loves you. Let him heal you. Stand for closing prayer.
Next week, we've got a healing service. We're going to wrap this thing up and uh, take what we've learned and uh, equip us to go out and, and do this. Maybe you're here today and, uh, boy, you're hearing about Jesus and maybe you're like, man, I, I don't want to be an enemy of Jesus. I haven't been on his side. I've been, I think he's kind of cool, but I've never actually trusted him with my life. I've never said, you know what, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you were uh, baptized as an infant, but you've never made a decision to follow him. And so I just want to give, uh, give you an opportunity today. You're here and you're like, you know what, I want to trust Jesus. I haven't done that before. Maybe you walked away, but you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm drawing a new, this is a new day. And I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want as much of him in my life as possible. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my confidence in him. I'm not going to just believe facts about him. But I'm going to put my confidence in him and have a relationship with him where his spirit comes and lives inside of me and begins to teach me and, and guide me. So if you're here today, uh, maybe, maybe even online, but uh, if you're here today, I'd just like to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so if you're here today and you're like, Jim, that's me, I would like you to pray with me so that I can become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be real bold and just lift up your hand while everyone, everyone you keep your eyes open. Is there anyone here? People always itch their face at this time. It always gives you like the false thumb. <laughs> Anybody here? All right, I'm talking to an army today. I'm talking to the family today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for showing us what you're like. Thank you that you heal people who want to kill you. Lord, give us that same kind of love. Change us so that we can become that kind of love. Let us not get caught up in the political spirit or the religious spirit, uh, but let us bring a kingdom that looks completely different. And Lord, I just thank you that you are speaking to people who need to be involved in the political realm and do it in a different way, who can speak with truth and love, truth and grace. Holy Spirit words that drip from, your, uh, drip from their lips. The Holy Spirit rides upon their words and changes atmospheres of rooms and brings the wisdom of God into situations. So I just thank you that there's people listening to this either by replay or here today that you're speaking to their heart and letting them know they're not crazy, but you're going to give them a different way to do it. And so, Lord, for those who have been hurt and had their spiritual ears cut off, Lord, we just thank you that you are putting those ears back on and healing them. And if you need healing in your body, receive it as a gift. Say, thank you, Jesus, that belongs to me because that's what you're like. In Jesus' name, amen.